Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome back to Politico Tech. Today is Tuesday, January 16th. I'm Stephen Overly. I'm back in D.C. CES was a whirlwind. If you did not get a chance to catch our episodes from Las Vegas last week, make sure you check those out. But you know, one aspect of CES that we did not delve into is the gadgets. And really, that's what CES is known for, something of a gadget pageant where companies show off out there technologies in over-the-top displays that also tell us something about where tech is headed. That's why I invited Julian Chikatu on today's show. I mean, there's a lot of not substantive stuff. He's the senior reviews editor at Wired and a regular on their podcast, Gadget Lab. I mean, we saw one thing called WeHead, which you have to check out. What's that? Uh, it's literally four Samsung phones taped together to look like a face. And the, the guy just added ChatGPT to it. Julian was all over the showroom floor at CES and found plenty of technology that will blow your mind and make you scratch your head. It costs $5,000. It's ridiculous. But it's like one of those things where like, this is stupid, but this is what CES is about. On the show today, everything weird and wild at CES. Wildest thing I saw. Uh, I mean, it's hard to say. There's so many, like, random, wacky things. But, like, from, like, a a sort of one of the bigger announcements of the show that was also genuinely kind of cool was the whole transparent TV stuff. Uh, I mean, it leaves you sort of wondering, like... Why do you need a transparent TV? Which is also what my wife asked me. But, you know, once you start playing around with the reasons, uh, you know, I could see it making sense. You know, the whole uh, Samsung and LG both announced transparent TVs. And, like, this is, like, you know, this is, like, futuristic concept stuff. I mean, LG is actually planning on coming out with a model later this year. But it's going to cost $100,000. So, again, not really. Oh, my gosh. Well, I did not see that price tag. uh, We think. uh, They didn't announce pricing yet, but last year's rollable OLED TV was $100,000. And this sort of also rolls in some ways. So it's going to be up there. And this is like the stuff that like 10, you know, five, 10 years from now, we'll hopefully it'll trickle down. But you could think to see sort of this type of technology out there in commercial use cases, uh, subway signs, you know, all sorts of things that could take advantage of that and then bring it into the home at some point which they really seem to hate the black void of a TV that just sits in your living room. They're like, it should do things. So like the past Samsung has had the frame TV and that, you know, makes it look like an art uh, piece. This idea is sort of meant to be like, well, let it, let the TV just blend into your wall and uh, have some like a fish tank animation or something like that. Right. So it's kind of cool. Kind of also like, this is a very sort of random tangent that we're going off into, but, um, you know, it was also genuinely from a technological perspective, it's, it's kind of crazy to just be able to see through the TV and have those pixels light up and move around like that. No, completely. I saw the, um, LG display and I didn't even really know what I was looking at at first, you know, it was just, I thought it was kind of some cool art installation, maybe just to make their booth look cool. And then when I realized what it was, it was, it was definitely mind blowing. And it's, and in some ways, it was kind of indicative to me of, like, technology, you know, the TV has gotten, like, smaller and smaller, thinner and thinner. Now it's starting to get invisible. It's just, like, technology sort of disappearing into our lives in, like, all of these unseen ways. It just, to me, it felt very symbolic. 
Yeah, I could see that. I mean, you know, I feel like a lot of companies ever since Iron Man first came out of several years ago, everyone has been chasing after that. And in one of those movies, he had a transparent phone. So like, this is sort of all what we're coming down to at some point. It's just leading up to that world of, of uh, high tech gadgetry. Yeah, totally. It's we're all sort of chasing Hollywood sci fi in some ways. I was sort of taken by some of the, like, smaller and, like, very random technologies. I mean, they weren't the coolest thing I saw, but, like, did you see this thing called Flappy? Flappy? Flappy, yes, it is. It's an it's an AI-powered cat door that detects if your cat is, like, carrying a dead mouse or dead bird in its mouth, and it will lock and not let them in your house until it drops it. Well, I mean... Someone had to have several bad experiences enough that they were like, I'm going to make a product out of this. Right. That's funny you say that because I did see a dog, like a smart dog door that basically you have a collar on the dog that has an RFID tag. And then when when they walk up to the door, it automatically opens and it's more you know sealed and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, I guess big year for pet doors. But that actually, I mean, it's kind of cool. I definitely don't want my animal coming in, my pet coming in with like a, a dead rodent. Someone found a lot of dead mice uh, to lead them to that that technological right. breakthrough. Was there anything else that sort of stood out to you, you know, in terms of whether it was random or, or you think really useful? Well, first there was the flying car, which is kind of hard to ignore. There's a lot of flying cars at CES every year. There's always a flying car. This year, uh, one of the biggest announcements was from Supernal, which is sort of an offshoot from Hyundai Motor Group. And one of the things that they said that sort of maybe makes it a little more interesting to look at compared to previous years, where you're like, eh, sure, flying car, whatever, is they said that they're going to start selling it and it'll be out there in four years. So now we have a timeline. (laughs) We'll see if it happens. Right. That was really cool. But also, I mean, the overall theme at this CES, I think, is also AI and artificial intelligence and everything. You, you totally. Men- you mentioned, like, the, the cat door. I assume they said it's using AI to <laughs> monitor the yep. rodents and stuff, which is a catch-all term. So you have to sort of always, whenever you go talk to these companies, you have to be like, all right, what exactly do you mean by AI? Because a lot of it is just BS sort of marketing stuff. Totally. Yeah. They just slap that label on there. Yeah, so that's something that still uh, sort of have to navigate through. But there was one um, piece of tech that was sort of our most popular story, which was about the the Rabbit R1, and that's a little uh, red square shaped pocket friendly device, and it's supposed to be sort of doing the tasks that you would typically do on your smartphone, the menial tasks. So you're not going to use this thing to like watch a movie or something. It's meant to like like a walkie talkie. You push to talk. Um, you press the little button, and you say, you know, get me an Uber to the airport, and it'll handle that. Uh, you can even ask it more complex things like book me a flight to this city and get me like a full package for, you know, cars and hotels. And I want to visit these cities. It'll do that research for you. And it'll sort of come up with the answer. It's very weird how it works in the background because it's using this thing called large, large action models, LAMs alongside LLMs, which is large language models. So basically they're integrating with each website or each service like Uber, DoorDash, Spotify, and such. And Basically, having it do the operations and running through the standard motions that are capable for those apps, except it's doing it on your behalf. Uh, you have to sort of grant it access to all of that. Right. And they didn't have a demo. So this is okay, one of those yeah. things where, you know, it sounds cool. It looks potentially useful. 
a lot of people were like, why isn't this just an app? The company is like, well, the whole point is to get away from apps because apps kind of suck. So it's $199, so it's relatively affordable. They already sold out a couple of times of their batches. It's just sort of a matter of like, will this actually work? And will these companies that it's sort of accessing your data through, will they allow it to keep working? Right. We'll see. It's coming out in March. Well, that's the thing, you know, it, AI sort of ushering in this new wave of like personal devices felt like a, a big thing. And I, as we were saying earlier, some of it felt like a lot of hype and a lot of marketing. Um, but like uh, I, the Rabbit R1, for example, I also saw this little robot, Ollie, I think it was called, right? Was that uh, Sony, if I'm I think remembering? That was uh, Samsung, I believe. Was Samsung? Okay, yeah. So like Samsung had this little robot, Bali, that like, follows you around and and takes pictures and can project. It was like a Roomba personal assistant. Could you separate hype from like reality with, with these devices or is it too early for that? Being in this industry for like almost uh, 10 years now, I feel like I'm naturally just like, you know, all right, well, we'll, we'll a cool announcement, you know, but right. I'll wait a couple of months. And once we start seeing a little more real uh, use cases and that kind of stuff, you're expectations are sort of lowered greatly um they always you know showcase what it can do and then it comes out and it's like well that maybe helps me a little bit um right so so there's a lot of that i mean there are not not to sort of you know denounce some of these stuff there's a lot of technological marvels that are happening but a lot of it is sort of you have to pare it down especially with a lot of this ai stuff like people are hyping up ai as if it's like already about to drastically change a lot of these things like even ai is being infused into a lot of these everyday objects that we have and what the companies are saying that they're going to do is like you know you can now ask your you know washer dryer can i wash this silk shirt or how can i wash it and then the idea is that like yeah sure your washer dryer can now give you a little more of a natural conversation about like you can have a conversation with your washer dryer and it'll tell you like well you know maybe don't wash this silk shirt or don't put it in the dryer or whatever right but like you could have done that before like you could have just googled it found out the answer pretty easily so there's not anything drastically crazy that these sort of llms are doing in some of these offshoot appliances and all that where they're adding AI into. It's just making things a lot more conversational. I think that's sort of the first thing where we're heading to is that talking with your personal devices or your, you know, gadgets and home home devices and cars and all that kind of stuff. I think that, I mean, that in itself is kind of important because natural language has been one of the harder things and we've slowly gotten a lot more accustomed to it over the past few years, especially with Google Assistant, Alexa, Siri, right. and all that. So I think this is sort of that next step, but I think it's still a small jump. And then I think what's there's something else to come where, you know, we're starting to see the AI actually execute on some of these things and actually perform a lot of these functions for us. And that I think might be the sort of the next wave. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. There are so many questions around privacy as these devices are like 
increasingly embedded in our homes, right? Collecting all sorts of data about us, data we're, we're giving it, to be clear, but, but nevertheless, like collecting that data, who has it, how long do they keep it? AI raises all sorts of question of bias, right? That, that can certainly come into play. And so to me, CES and seeing AI show up in, in big and small ways in all these technologies, it was sort of like, oh, like, damn, like these devices are coming on hard and fast. And like, we have not answered some of these like very fundamental questions about how all of our information is going to be used. Yeah. Would you talk to like product folks? Do you hear them talking about that sort of thing? I mean, it's all I hear being in Washington, but like when you talk to folks who are actually building this stuff, are they thinking about that? I mean, yeah, you always ask them questions about what what the like is this on device? Is this being sent to a cloud? There's always a bit of a mixed sort of answer. I mean, they always say the things that they're you want them to say, you know, which is like, yeah, we keep privacy in mind and uh, all of this is stored in this area. And sure. We have security protocols, but like, you know, you know, things happen. Not everything is always gonna be completely protected. Um, at the end of the day, if it's a feature that they want you to have and it sort of needs access to the internet and 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 so on and certain types of data, then they're going to want to just sort of get it from you. Um, I mean, that's not to say that there isn't sort of uh, a growing push about um, focusing on privacy. Like one of the companies I saw is called um, Apostrophe and their new operating system. Uh, they're sort of a fork of Android um, and essentially they're de-Googling the entire operating system so that they're removing Google's access from every layer of the code um, so that you can sort of use your phone and like not have to worry that like, oh, well, Google just knows I opened this app or Google knows I did that. Just technology um, pushing back on big technology, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's still... In that OS, like you can download the Google Play Store by, but you have to sort of opt into it because that's still the only way to, you can then access like a great library of your apps. But even when you do that, it's sort of sandboxed in. All of the company servers and everything is located in Switzerland. Um, sort of have this sort of barrier that they want to have between, uh, you know, limiting the amount of access that Google can get. So. It's sort of interesting to see some of that happen. And I think a large part of that is just the sort of growing conversation of the past year about like big tech and continuing to sort of wade into our privacy and, and all of that. So, you know, it's still not the the broad conversation that you're going to see at CES. I think it's still right. too much of a gadget and look at these shiny objects sort of distracting kind of way. Um, but, uh, you know, there are companies that are at least trying to focus on a little bit of that. That's the other thing. I do feel like these big splashy technologies get the attention, but like there's a lot of incremental technology that you, like you're saying, you can also sort of see how it develops. Right. That, that's assuming if it it comes to fruition. Like I yeah. talked to this, I talked to this one guy who he had been at CES something like almost ten years ago, and he won a raffle for like a self tuning guitar that immediately like went out of production. It just did not sell, did not work basically. But he still has it as like this relic of CES past. Does it <laughs> you know, work? Kind of. A, I think so, but clearly not well enough. Um, he, he, I guess musicians, uh, real true musicians, like prefer to tune their own instruments, uh, not not have a, have them smart tuned. But yeah, it's like you know how many how many folks have some sort of CES relic of years gone by that just never quite made it into the real world. Yeah, is there one thing like you're most excited about that you think we'll see in this year, like you know, this year between now and the next CES? 
from from like an overall trend perspective, I think the one thing that it's going to just be interesting to see and how that sort of grows is the whole personal AI sort of thing where it's integrating something with ChatGPT or like the rabbit thing that I mentioned before, because that just was such a crazy change last year. And I feel like I haven't seen something like that happen in some time where just about any, every person on the internet is suddenly into chat GPT. Like it doesn't even have like a cool name. Like it's just this thing and suddenly everyone's interested in like that level of like change doesn't really happen that often. And I feel like this year is going to be the year where almost a lot of that stuff is going to be more polished and put out there, especially by some of the traditional main companies like Google. And they're going to have a whole process with Bard and all that to Microsoft sort of polishing what they're doing. Maybe Apple probably sort of wading into there uh, because they've sort of been on the sidelines of the whole thing. And then of course, these tiny brands like the humane AI pin is coming out soon. Uh, The rabbit R1 is coming out soon. So there's this sort of interesting thing where we're going to be seeing i think genuine new hardware to accompany a lot of these ai features and i think that's just going to be very interesting because it's still hard to say like is this really going to be useful or should i just keep using my phone and are consumers even ready for that you think i touch so many people who have these anxieties about generative ai right in in different ways even if they do play around with chat gpt What's your sort of take on whether consumers are ready for all of this personalized AI? I mean, I was surprised by the consumers last year. Like they were the ones at times I feel like I was learning new things from people that were just playing around with mm. ChatGPT, And I was surprised at the level of interest from like the everyday and like average person who might not even be interested in tech suddenly getting utility out of these services. So in some ways I feel like they've shown the industry that they're ready and they want sort of more. And that's now what we're going to see, I feel like, is the industry responding to that sort of interest and and competition. I definitely think that's sort of a continuation of 2023, um, except it'll be even more uh, present everywhere. It might be new hardware might come out for it. And uh, it's just going to be interesting to see where that goes. Well, Julian, anything we haven't touched on that you want to to bring up that I may have missed? Yeah, I mean, I guess one other trend that we had pointed to, and this was something that my colleague had seen, was like an increase in at-home testing uh, kits for health in general, like just the, the growing amount of things that you could now sort of order. Is this the, co- the COVID effect? Home. Sort of, yeah. Um, well, one of the awards we had given to in our Best of CES post um, was for a company called Vivu. I, I hope I'm saying that right. But they have a home UTI diagnostic test. So you can basically take a test and within minutes or seconds get sort of an answer as to whether you have UTI or not. Don't no need to go to the doctor or you know talk to them and go to the, have that awkward conversation um so just that kind of stuff becoming way more commonplace with uh whether it's with utis or covid or the flu you that just is sort of becoming much more commonplace now where you can just order something online and do it at home and not have to go to a drugstore which is i think that's nice right that's fascinating i mean i and you know i spent some time aarp had a whole display of like aging technology There was also a lot of accessibility technologies on display. It was interesting and and frankly encouraging, I thought, to see like 
seemingly an increase in interest and investment in like some of these technologies for for health, for aging, for you know accessibility, like things that are are genuinely useful. Markets that have probably been underserved in a lot of ways. Right. Um, it, it it seemed like that those are are now getting more attention, um, which I you know I'm fascinated to see where that goes. You know th- this year and and going forward. Yes. Listen, Julian, this has been been great. Appreciate you joining us on Politico Tech. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it was, it was a fun conversation. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our managing producer is Annie Reese. Our producer is Afra Abdullah. And our editors are Steve Hoiser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. See you back here tomorrow.